I'll be in Proverbs chapter 22 tonight. I'll just start there as a springboard text. You want to go ahead and find your place and stand with me. We'll read this text that we started last week. We'll get right to it. Go ahead and stand. Proverbs 22, 6 simply says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's a product that we are all trying to produce in our children. Malachi says this, wherefore a godly seed. How, how is it that we produce, and that word may not be exactly appropriate, but, but how do we raise a child who one day he'll be godly? And the biblical process for that product is called training. And training is a, a large and encompassing term. It includes chastisement or spanking, which we'll talk about next week. But it's much, much more than that. It's, it's more than education. It's more than just telling them what to do. It is guiding and showing and molding and directing, and it's aiming them in a particular direction. And we covered a lot of that last week, but today we're going to get into some of the mechanics. So let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, thank you so very much for the, the day you've given, Lord, for this night. I, I pray you'd use this time, Lord, to be productive. I think especially of those parents who have small children. But Lord, the principles here are important for all of us. Lord, we all struggle with being indulgent, self-willed. Lord, all of us need to grow in maturity in terms of discipline and mastering ourselves. We, we face no greater foe in life than, Lord, ourselves. And, Lord, so I, I pray you'd help us to gain ascendancy over ourselves so that we may pass that character, ability, and strength on to our children. And I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. This afternoon... Um, we had the vast majority of our kids at the house, as we do almost every Sunday. And after dinner, uh, of course, the kids sort of disperse. And so I intentionally went into the den with a number of them. And uh, I got on the floor that, you know, that's not as easy as it used to be. <laughs> and I grabbed a book. And when I do that, the little ones just sort of gather around. I, I, I read a little book to them. And, you know, they don't have a lot of attention span. And so one of them brought me a little mixer. Now, he's like these little, like, tiny, it's a toy plastic mixer. It used to work. Nothing works very long in our house, but it, it used to work. And so one of them said, Grandpa, make something for us. And so I, I complied. So I'm sitting there on the floor, and I think there's five of them gathered around me. And so I had this mixer, and I looked around, and these little cards like this, and these cards have animals on them, and, you know, you go, this is a cow, say moo, that's that kind of card. So I grabbed these cards, and I put them on this book turned to stove. And I said, well, let's, let's make breakfast. And so I took the mixer, and I spun it with my finger, and the cards are there, and I said, this is going to be the food, and now these are pancakes, and these are eggs, and, you know, they're in rapt attention with this, you know. But immediately what begins to happen, they begin to reach, you know, for the food, the make-believe food. And so I say to them as they reach, no, don't touch. I'm working on that. Well, they, you know, they look at me in a little bit of puzzlement, you know, that Grandpa would impose a restriction upon them. <laughs> um, but I say, don't touch. I'm working on that. And I don't wait a long time because I, I, I know their abilities are small. They're young. And so I finally, then I finished. I said, okay, here's for you. And they reach again because it's finished. And I said, no, 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 uh, don't touch. 
I'm going to give this to you. And so I pass out the pancakes to one, and I pass out the, the waffles or whatever to each one of them. I say, okay, now let's eat them. And they all bite the cards, and we probably run them, you know. <laughs> and so we said, then I said, now put them all back. Well, some of them have already grown, to, had grown a fond affection for the cards, but I said, put them back. And so with some help, they put them back. We repeat the process again, and you know, the issue of self-restraint is still present because I'm asking them to wait until I finish the cooking it so I can pass it out to them. Well, when you know, I said this one is you know, something that the other one liked, I gave this card, let's say this is the, the pancakes. Well, all of a sudden, the other child wanted it. So they reach and they take it from the other, the other child, and of course, there is, there's a problem. And I say, we don't grab. And I said, give that back. And if there wasn't quick compliance, I take it and I hand it back to the child and I say, we don't grab. And this little game goes on for five to seven minutes and then we all get up and we go about our business. Well, the whole thing, I don't know, I was there seven to 10 minutes, 10 minutes maybe stretching it. <clears throat> it was hard to get up when I got up. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it's, it's seven to 10 minutes. In that seven to 10 minutes, I probably had to give somewhere, you know, in between 15 and 18, maybe 20 verbal commands and prohibitions. All of them said in a mild voice, all of them said only one time for each occasion. You follow me? And then there was assistance and compliance when necessary. Um, and if I was to re-engage in that same playtime every day for the next two weeks. And let's help, let me help my case. I say twice a day for the next two weeks. I am going to pretty much assure you that I would move that 15 to 20 verbal commands and requests down to two or three. Now, I know that because I've done that. Now what that requires is my full-time attention and my absolute full engagement every time. And at no time am I becoming angry, no time am I, am I quote unquote disciplining, but the entire of my time is spent in training, in guiding, in, in, in providing instruction, and then making sure they're following through. And I, I am pretty sure that in just a couple of weeks, now being very directed on that one skill set, Okay, you transfer it and, and you, you got to do the game again, but they learn and they grow, they broaden the application there. But they would figure that out and, and I, I think we could get somewhere. Okay, that's training. That's training. Before church in my office, Nate and Abby walked in with the two boys and uh, I still love this. They get excited to see Grandpa. They, they forgot what I looked like since noon. And uh, I have a cabinet, a cabinet, and it's full of toys, and um, it's, it's for them. And uh, so when they come in, they often will gravitate pretty quickly to the cabinet. And uh, when Easton came in tonight, he did that. And he, was, he looked around, he was being a boy, of course he's wandering and doing what boys do, and all that's fine. And he moved to the cabinet, and he got a blue football. And he said football. Well, Nate, being a good dad, you know, went in there with him, and he started to play catch with him. Well, they tossed the ball back and forth maybe five or six times. And, you know, Easton's enraptured and he's loving this. And then Nathan said, okay, we're done. And he said it something like that. And he grabbed the ball 
and he moved to the cabinet and he put it in. Little Easton, still wanting to play the game, began to move towards the cabinet, basically with the idea, I want, and Nathan calmly said, no, we are finished. And that was all the commentary that was lent. Easton standing there perplexed for a moment. His little will and self-indulgence being denied. But you can tell that this has been repeated more than one time. And though reluctant, he complied. And it was all over, and he happily and cheerfully walked out of the office to the next endeavor. Now, what else he's done today, I don't know, but that was good. <laughs> okay, now listen, that's training. And that done over and over and over, which requires the full attention and engagement of the parent, will get you to a place where you're not run ragged where you can ask something of even a small child and get compliance. They have more strength and ability than we give them credit. The problem is we just don't often give that effort ourselves. We have a hard time passing on what we ourselves do not possess. We ended the last week's session with some biblical truths um, <clears throat> that are true about our children's nature and of course are true of us that they are sinners, that we are all flawed, we all are victims of a fallen world. The way we constructed this is that we are born with an indulgent nature, a nature to gratify, a nature to please, a nature to get what we want, when we want it, how we want it. We can describe the outworking of our indulgent nature in a lot of other biblical words. We could use the word lust. We could use the word anger. We could use the words selfishness or pride or gluttony or envy. All of these are outworkings, outworkings of the indulgent nature of our hearts. They show up in our, our kids' lives and they show up in ours. But they're all forms of a lack of self-mastery. They're all forms of a weak character that cannot direct the self. And, and so we look at these symptoms of self-indulgence and, you know, they describe our children's behavior. It's indulgent. They, they want what they want. You know, there's this misnomer when talking about children that we often say they are strong-willed. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I have a strong-willed child? And it's almost said a little bit like it's a badge. You know, like my, my, my child is strong-willed. Well, I understand what people are saying, but they, it's really not theologically correct. It's not so much that our children can have a strong will. It's just the opposite. It's that their will is weak. They have a lack of ability. Um, they have little strength. In other words, they have no ability. A strong-willed child is actually a weak character individual. They have no governance over self. Uh, we strive, describe it that way, a lack of character, a lack of strength in an adult, maybe. And so we do things, child and adult, that we shouldn't because they indulge our sinful nature. This need for self-gratification in the moment uh, because of pleasure or maybe because we want to avoid pain or hardship, we do it because of ease, not because it's intelligent. You see, again, training is more than instruction. Instruction is, is, is valid, it's important, it's necessary. The older we get, the larger role that instruction plays. 
But it's, it's not the end of a parent's duty, it's just to instruct, it is to train. Let me explain this. A man doesn't become angry in his home because it's good or productive. That's not intelligent. He does so because it's useful and pragmatic. He's learned that that behavior gets him what he wants in the moment. It doesn't get him what he wants long term, but it gets, what, it gets him what he wants in the moment. It's self-gratifying. It's selfish, and it's small. It's not intelligent. Someone doesn't overeat because it provides good health benefits. We know the science. We've all read the articles. No, they do it because there is a weak self-will, an inability to control, and it gratifies in the moment. Some allow their house to be a mess and a disaster because the value there is sloth over cleanliness. And, and, and well, it, it's just me. Well, they don't do it because it's smart. They do it because it's easier. And I could go on and on. And, and I'm not trying to be, beat any of us up because there's room here for all of us to be, to be beat up. I'm, I'm trying to help us understand that here we are as adults still struggling over self-mastery and we wonder why a child has so little of it. And, 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 and they have this full-blown wanter but very little informed moral conscience or ethical conscience yet. And we stand in that place to help them develop that. The point is, all this is hard for us, and it is, it is exponentially more difficult for small children who haven't yet brushed up against some of the social norms that correct us. In other words, it's, it's not sometimes intelligence or even moral ethical values. We just do some things that we learn in society, and that the society frowns on it, so we pull back from that. And they've not had any of that experience yet. They've not brushed up against social norms or physical and relational consequences for poor behavior. They're not well versed on the journals of harmful effect of the things that we do. And they don't have a fully informed conscience yet. They just are sinful little creatures. And they do what they do because they want to do it. And so it is the parent's job, as I did in the game, to provide some moral constraint, some, some this restraint for the child. Just as a uh, a tree that has, is subject to the, the environmental winds is staked to hold it in a place. That is the place of a parent and a child. It, it's not trying to manipulate and control. It's trying to guide in the way, as the text says, in it should go. And we provide those restraints only for a time. And we may have to take them off and put them back, and, and that's part of growing up. But the point is we are doing for the child what he has not yet learned to do for himself. Information and teaching for a little bitty kid is entirely insufficient to correct their behavior. I've watched parents, and, and it's not wrong to instruct a little one. You should. But there needs to be more than that as well. Children and adults need training. We often need to provide outer restraints for ourselves to develop inner control and character. You know, it's as simple as this. Um, some years ago, I, I worked out at, uh, at home in my garage. I had a little gym set there. And I found myself slacking just a little bit. And because uh, the boys got older, they didn't do it anymore with me, so it was just me. And so um, I decided it might be better if I went down to the gym and paid something. 
And so, in other words, I was providing some accountability for myself, some outer restraints to encourage myself to do the thing that I wanted to do, but having some outside restraints and ropes helped me actually do it. In the adult world, that's called accountability. It's called accountability. And for a child, it is called parenting and providing that for them. I mean, again, my, my point is this, is so often what is missing in, in training is not the instruction. I think everyone here is trying to teach their kids right. It's showing them the way. Again, today, people today know the ill effects of tobacco, alcohol, drugs, but it doesn't stop all of them from doing those things, but maybe some discipline and accountability might. So what we're trying to help children do is learn some self-control to, to master their indulgent nature. And again, this is the role of parenting. We, having more information, hopefully a greater internal character and strength, and having real-world experience in knowing that if some things are done in an indulgent way, they cost us something, knowing that a lack of restraint can destroy or hurt a child or us, that it violates biblical character, we insert ourselves in their lives as guide, as director, as example. We are the training ropes. A way to think of it is this. When a child has his sails full of wind, strong desires, but no compass yet, moral discernment, his parents must serve for a time as his navigator. And as they grow older, they can begin to navigate for themselves. And that's the idea of Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and as he's older, as he's able, he will have learned that moral compass, that inner strength, that character, that ability to deny the flesh and immediate gratification, to put away his indulgence for a greater cause, a greater good in the moment, to achieve something, and he'll do that for himself. And that is something we are doing. Now, I've already talked about the importance of training through example. And I don't want to belabor it because I spent two sessions already talking about the best form of training is just being a good person. Showing them what's right, doing what's right, being committed to things right, to having uh, your own strength and, and routines and schedules. Just having them follow you as you follow what is right is probably the very best form of training. But, but tonight, I, I wanted to begin to dive into some mechanics that I've already alluded to in the introduction. Since the seeds of indulgence are rooted in our nature, and, and they show up shortly after birth, you know, the best time to begin teaching uh, children to overcome their indulgent nature is when they are babies. Now, um, everything I'm going to say has to be rooted in some of your own experience and within reason and whatever else. Uh, I don't think I'll press tonight, but I, I am going to suggest some things that you may not exactly agree with, and that's okay. Um, but I'm going to tell you what we did that has worked, and I, I think it can work for you. How do you train a baby? How do you train a baby? And by baby, I don't even know what I mean. I'm a dad. It's like when they're born to when they're a year. I don't know. An infant. Is that good? Is that okay? Whatever. So, you know, a way you can begin to help them overcome their own selfish nature is we talked about last week that a, cho a child is born from the womb speaking lies. He wants what he wants, when he wants it, how he wants it. 
And I, I mentioned this last week, if you don't train a child or even an infant, in time they will train you. And that means every time they cry, you come. If there's an outburst, you react. In other words, you're moving at their impulse. So a way to begin training, even in that age, is maybe by the suggestion of putting even babies on a thing called a schedule. Now, now listen, I'm not worldly wise, but I'm fully aware of all the TikTok, Instagram, and all the stuff that's out there on all this stuff. And, you know, I, I just want to go ask them, show me your kids, you know. Um, and, and I'm sure some of them produce really great kids. That, and I, it's, that's, that's more of a challenge than I intended. But you get the, you get the idea. But the idea is this, is, you know, we, can, we have kind of some nutritional guides, how often a child has to be fed, and how they should be able to respond to this. And there's some norms out there that, that are easy to find. And you can speak to ladies who have tons of experience. And if you begin that young to teach a child that you've been fed, your diaper's changed, your world is good, all is right, you're in an environmentally controlled room, you have a cushioned crib, you can be expected to stay there for a certain number of hours as a child through the night. Rather than getting up and down all night long at their every beckoning, you just have to train yourself so you can train the child. And sometimes you may even have to subdue a tear, moms, in the moment to get down the road where you want to go. I'm not going to suggest length or time or hours or anything else because that's bound to get me in trouble. But I am going to say to you that they can do more than you think they can do. And it does not take years for them to sleep all night unless you train them to do that. That that can be accomplished in a matter of months if you are so inclined to train them to do that. Um, I've learned this, that children, for the most part, little ones, can accommodate a schedule if their parents can. And I don't mean to be overly challenging with that. But the Bible says a lot about spare not for their crying. And the idea is, is God is really empathetic with the paternal and maternal instincts of a parent, but not all those instincts are for the child's benefit and good. And we can rescue and run to them all too quickly. And so a way to begin training to have some modicum of restraint and control, even from a very early age, is by putting the children on a schedule. And that, and that goes for other areas of life too, besides maybe the bottle and feeding. Not everything has to be on demand. Children can go down at regularly scheduled nap times. You know, it's not when they want to, it's when you deem it's appropriate. And then they can often stay there um, for a length of time that you prescribe. And the one I like best is as they grow a little bit older, you can kind of put them to bed when you want to. Okay, now I'm going to say some things that are entirely Troy Durrell, okay? As Paul said, I'm saying this, not the Bible. You know there is no biblical time to go to bed. You understand that, correct? Okay. We had seven kids. We strove for sanity. So, you, I, we may do things that you don't have to with one or two or three or whatever else, but we did for the sake of peace and order. And um, so, I, I don't remember for how long, we put the kids to bed at 
okay, when they were little. Now, I want to enjoy time with them. I did enjoy time with them. And 7.30 or 8 was the idea. But here was the idea. It was Terry and me before them. It's Terry and I after them. And there's a relationship here that we want to preserve. And by the way, we just needed some peace and quiet. And so we put the kids to bed at 7.30, and we expected them to stay there all night long until the morning. Now, the other side of that is they got up early. But we were kind of okay with that as a habit, too. There's something there. You may want to keep them up with you till 9 or 10 o'clock. That's your decision. Power to you. But the point is this, is we decided when that was going to happen. And we put out an expectation, and we trained so that we could do that, even with people at the house, so we had guests, we could, we could spend time with them. But it became a habit. It became a routine, and the kids knew it was coming. And, 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 and listen, I understand there's some struggles of church, you know, like Wednesdays and Sundays can throw us off a little bit. And, and, and so can date nights or things. You know, I'm not talking about you have to be so strict, but I'm talking about the idea is that kids need to learn that certain things are going to happen because I want to tell you something, when, when parents do that, kids often have more security and, and a sense of safety than you might realize. And they tend not to act out near as much when, when your life and theirs has a modicum of predictability to that. Children can be scheduled in, a, in, in almost every area of life especially when they are young, to allow the parent to rise. You don't have to give in to their every cry, to every outburst, and, and don't give in to their sense of control. The idea is this. It is good for a young child on occasion to bump up against things that are contrary to what they want or their natural inclinations. And in bumping up against it and being denied in a reasonable way, they learn self-mastery and control. So it's 30 minutes before feeding time, and a mother looks like she's not being reasonable by making the child wait. What she's really doing is installing a sense of, installing a sense of mastery in the child. She's giving that child a gift. The observer may hear tears and crying and fussing, but the mother is gifting the child in a growing maturity and an ability. And by the way, if that is kept on regularly, the child tends to figure out how long two or three or four hours is. You with me? That's the idea. It's not being mean, it's not being cruel, and it's certainly not arbitrary. The idea is allow a child to bump up against some rules. It's the same thing I did today in playtime. In this case, I was being intentional. Okay? You don't need the opportunity to be intentional with your kids. They're going to provide them for you all the time. But I'm allowing them to bump up the desire to grab, don't grab, to steal, don't steal. And I am making them in that moment overcome that indulgent nature, the same thing a schedule might do, or a nap time might do, or a bedtime might do, or a brushing your teeth routine might do, or any other routine. And in all of these things, they learn a self-mastery. And by constantly giving in to their every woman demand, you are denying them the gift that you and I so desperately need as an adult and lack. Reb Bradley wrote an article years ago, What's Wrong with America? It's a fascinating article. It all boils down to this. We have no self-control anymore. And anyway, that's a free for Reb Bradley, but it's, it's, it's a help. As children grow older, of course, they need to begin to exercise their own sense of restraint. 
Um, so let me give another example. And tonight's just a lot of examples. I, it, it's hard for me to quantify all this in, in clever principle. Some parents have the idea when a child's a toddler or young that they should child-proof their home. But wise parents make their child home-proof. Now that's within reason. Okay, there are real limits there, but you get it. Some people think when the kids are young, they have to remove everything that is toddler height. And so they may normally have a dish of candy that sits on a, a, di you know, on a dining room table. And when the kids are young, you know, they take it and they lock it all up and they do all those kinds of things, child-proofing their home. But I would suggest a better course of action is leave the candy on the table and tell the child not to touch it. You only learn strength by exercising it. I don't get stronger by not being kept from a gym, but rather going to a gym and kind of uh, punishing myself or restraining myself or making myself go when I don't want to. There's where strength comes in. And what a child needs to learn to do is to look at the bowl of candy and realize it can't take it whenever it wants to. And that if it's going to, there are certain rules that it must abide by to get the candy. The first being is to ask. You, you with me? And even if you're not, it's okay. Now again, there are things you may or may not want. I wouldn't put the life's most valuable cherished item on the dining room table, but a bowl of candy is okay. And I'm not looking to, to provide an inordinate uh, temptation. I'm trying to make, get, get something across. But that provides a test and an opportunity for the child to grow in self-restraint. So not only in my office do I have a cabinet of toys, in my right-hand drawer, suck it down, don't go looking for it, is a giant um, drawer of fruit snacks. It's my attempt to provide my kids, grandkids, a healthy snack. <laughs> LOL. I'm sure it's full of sugar. Well, of course, you know, when they're little, they come in there and they just want to pull the drawer open and grab it. Now, I'm not always there to monitor, so I can't really tell you. I don't do a count. But what I try to do when I'm present is for to have them to come, and they all do this, and they'll stand there like a bunch of buzzers looking at roadkill. You know, they're just standing <laughs> They've learned. And they're all just huddled around this drawer just staring at it, you know. But you know what's happening right then? Self-restraint. You know what they want? They want the candy. They want it right now. And, you know, if I'm not there, I don't know what happens all the time. But when an adult is there for the most part, they know the candy's there. I'm not going to take it out. I kind of like giving it to them, you know. And I've not had a deep conversation with the parents whether it's okay or not. I just like to do it. But they, they have learned and are learning this, that candy is okay to have when grandpa says it's okay to have. And the fact they know it there is it, it, it's something that strengthens their character because they know it's there. And listen, you and I can take every harmful thing out of our life, and, and there's probably some wisdom in some of that, but we still have to navigate a really bad, sinful world. And so you know, a wiser strategy for a lot of us is just learning to tell ourselves no or to wait, not to indulge ourselves. You know, um, we have a cookie counter at home. I don't, go by, I don't go take one every time I walk by it. I'm inclined to sometimes, but I don't. I, I tell myself one a day is okay, and that's somewhat arbitrary, but it's a self-discipline that I still need to employ in my life. Minus things like that, a child will not develop the, the moral strength that he or she needs. 
And so what if a child touches? Well, then you simply take what they have and you put it back. And you may have to do that a number of times. Well, do I spank them right then? Uh, okay, I, I don't know what to tell you there. You can if you want to. I think it's too quick. I think if, you, if you're consistent in that behavior over and over and over, they're probably going to stop. They're going to learn that. Now, if they're belligerent, there comes a time and an age when it would be appropriate to spank them after instruction was given not to touch it. But the idea is, is you train. You help them grow strength. The idea is you are the ropes of restraint that they need when they are unable to provide it for themselves. Now, I want to say something. Today, what I did in, in the den was a deliberate exercise. I wasn't being mean. I think all the kids had a great time. I had a lot of fun. But it was, it was a little bit exhausting because that's not something we've done often. And it commanded my full attention. And it's going to command yours for a while. And you have to do this over and over and over and do it again and again and again. But here's the thing. If you are consistent and you stay with it, some of you young parents, your lives will be changed in two weeks. Amen. You say that's overstated. It's not overstated. You can pay me and I'll take care of it for you. Bring it to my house and turn it out and do it for a week. It's going to cost you a lot, but we'll take care of it. <laughs> it's going to cost you a whole lot. <laughs> and I won't raise my voice and I won't be mean. And in the moment, I won't ask for things more than one time. They need to learn some control. And we need to learn to help them. If they reach for it, and they will, you simply deny them having their indulgence fulfilled in a way that you think reasonable, and you keep doing that, and they will stop. You can tell them no. You can put it back. You can instruct them not to. You can provide a mild incentive for them to stop. You can guide them away. You can make them wait. You can make them wait. And if necessary, you can spank them. But if you're consistent, they'll learn to be consistent as well. You see, this has to be about winning the battle of wills or overcoming mutual weakness. How about that? Because they won't give up easily, but parents sometimes do. The incidence of a strong-willed child and a weak-willed adult is all too common. And we need to make sure we correct that. Um, <clears throat> I think examples work best. When the kids were little, um, we, uh, we had people in the house. We had other people's homes. And uh, just as a general courtesy, I think when adults are present, children running is probably not a good idea. And I think they should be told not to. Um, but sometimes they can be too much. And, and, and children will be children, and they should be allowed to be kids. Don't overcorrect. But there's a time when, when you're in a house full of kids, you tell someone. So I, I'd have one of the kids come up, and one little one, and uh, probably Joshua. And, uh, <laughs> and, and there's a lot. And I'd say, hey, come sit on my knee. And they're not being disobedient. They're not doing anything wrong. They're just being too much. And so I'd say, hey, buddy, come here. And I'd set one of them on my knee. And i said, say, I want you to sit here for a while. And this was just a training session in front of an audience. I didn't intend for it to be, but I wasn't going to allow the behavior to continue. So a little sat on my knee. I said, I want you to sit here for a while. And the while wasn't described in minutes or seconds. It was a while. And of course, very quickly, my request met up against their indulgent nature. And they didn't want to sit there. Our little boys and girls are doing whatever they're, they're doing. And he wanted to go do what he wanted to do. And so now we're in a contest of will. 
mine versus a three-year-old. You would think that's an easy win, but it almost never is. You see, the child is smart, and he knows he has an audience, and he doesn't intend to embarrass you. It's just easy to do. And so he gets, tries to get down, and, you know, we might put them back. But after two or three arching back scenarios, everybody know the arching back? And recognizing that adults' eyes are upon you, you pretend to comply that it's time that you want to put them down, but the, the, the truth is the child just won. And in that moment, you have to decide what you're going to do and who you're going to honor the most, yourself or the child. Because what you need to do is do what's right for the kid. And so you need to keep them very gently, politely, thoughtfully on your knee. And if they don't allow that, there's a way to correct that, which we'll talk about next week. But they need to comply until you decide it's time for them to go do whatever they do now in a quieter manner or however your instruction goes. And in that time, what you've gifted the child with is inner strength. You've granted the child a modicum of self-restraint that now can grow into a greater ability in, in, in time for them to do those things. Hey, you know what? It's a busy house. I want you seven kids to sit right here for the next 15, 20 minutes. Okay, it's busy, a lot of people. It's too much control, too, too much out of control. Um, it's okay to do that. There's been time we've had 60, 70 people in our house years ago, and all the kids were out of control. I stopped them all and made them all sit down, and they did. They can do what you ask within reason. Again, you got to let them be kids, and I was corrected sometimes for failing to see that always. But if we're not careful, it's not that they can't be taught restraint. It's that we just... We struggle in that area. The point is this, an adult needs to find appropriate teaching moments, battles, and win them, and grant and gift your child. So in this scenario, give some instructions, provide incentive to obey, which by the way, when they do great, hey, thanks for sitting in my lap there, buddy, you did a great job, thank you all for sitting here. You know, you, you praise, which is a whole other thing, you, you, you praise proper behavior, you reinforce the behavior that you want. I'm assuming that's common sense, not overly done, but in right proportion. And all these are directed in your brain with the thought, I'm teaching them to have some self-mastering control, not to engage in their, in, in the, in their indulgent behavior so they can in time do this for themselves. In other words, it comes a time when you don't have to hold them on your lap. You can just say, hey, need you sit still beside me? And they do it. A lot of training is limiting. It sounds negative and don't mean for it to be, but a lot of training is limiting. It's limiting like Nate did. It's, it's limiting. How long you play ball? I don't know, but it's, the time, it's, it's enough and you just stop it. And they need to learn to pull that inner desire in. It's what we should do in an argument and being ugly. It's how the self-control to say, I need to limit myself right now. But how many of us fail there? And, and there's a thousand places I could go with that. We need to limit, as they get older, TV time. We need to limit screen time. 
We need to limit candy. We need to limit food. We need to limit maybe some activity that's inappropriate in the church or at someone's home. Now, on the positive side of that, you can get ahead of that by trading for the things that you do want. You know, I, I'm, not good. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not asking this. I'm not even suggesting this. But it's entirely possible if we decided to get rid of our, part of our nursery and ask three-year-olds to come in here and sit for an hour. That is entirely possible. And so, but I would not suggest you that you train for that here in the church. I would beg of you to go home and train them before you bring them here to train them. In other words, have a routine in your life where you ask a child to sit on the couch and read a book for themselves for 10 minutes, and then 15 minutes, and then 20. And again, I'm not, my, my times are arbitrary. I'm just trying to get a point across. You got to decide what you think is reasonable and fair and right. But the point is they can learn to do that. And then guess what? You can take them to a restaurant and enjoy the meal. You can tell them don't throw food at home so they won't at the restaurant. You can teach them not to crawl on the table. I mean, there's all these things we allow at home, and then we wonder why we can't go to the restaurant and enjoy ourselves. We can't go to Walmart down, up and down the aisles without a Walmart war. In other words, have some, let's be proactive and actually try to train the children purposely for the behavior you want so they can go out in the real world and exercise them there. A lot of that's limiting, and then it's training what you want. To sit quietly, um, to, to, to do some things to get your attention. Pet peeve? Okay, thus saith Troy, not the Bible. But yeah, there ought to be some sanctity between two adults speaking without being interrupted constantly by little children. You know, they're adults. Have some respect. Again, a child run up, and the little ones are going to be little ones, but when they are little ones, teach them some restraint. And so, like, when a child wants your attention, it's okay to train them, hey, come stand beside me. You know, you, you can grab the hem of my pants, but don't just blurt out, don't yell, don't demand, don't interrupt the conversation I'm not having with another adult person. That can be trained. And a child can walk up to you, and they can stand beside you, they can even look up to you with doe eyes, but they can wait. And you should make them wait. Why? It's a session in training. It's not mean. It's not unkind. It's gifting them some ability. And then you should recognize them at time. Don't ignore them. And when there's a break in the conversation, look at the child. Hey, buddy, what do you want? Grab them up, hug them, smooch them, kiss them. And you'll give them the attention they want and then send them on their way or keep them right there even better. Train for those kinds of scenarios in your life. Train, train them to complete a task. When the kids were little, we gave them all chores. We even trade them, as my wife loves to say, to a level of completion. The kids were given these chores like washing, you know, a lower part of the window. We had these big doors. And I remember when Jeremiah was young, we gave him this, this chore of washing the windows. And he would wash it. And he would say, hey, Dad, I'm done. And I'd say, okay, bud, let me see it. And I'd say, hey, Jeremiah, great job. Man, you did a good job. But you missed a spot here, here, and here. Let's get that done. And then he and I would get down there, and we'd get that done. And we do that over and over. In a time, he always got the spots. Then his life got older. He was in charge of Rebecca. And Rebecca started cleaning the window. And he said, hey, Rebecca, you missed a spot here, here, and here. And I think she got the spots. I'm not sure. <laughs> make your bed. Oh, that's a novel somebody did for some adults. But make your bed. 
make it right. Why in the world do you think the military teaches these guys to make their beds? Because it translates to life. It's a routine that develops a discipline, that gives mastery, that gives control, that allows for maturity, that allows the person to take on responsibility. Train to complete a task, train to be polite, to engage in routines. Routines and rules are important. They ought not always be arbitrary, but when a kid is young, sometimes they're okay, again, to bump up against the indulgent nature. Just a word about rules. Make sure that you, your, a child knows what you want. Um, sometimes you have to grab the little face and, and spell it out for them, but when you give instruction, make sure they understand. Rules are ropes, they're guiding. They, they, they help us accomplish a behavior and expectation. Um, you know, don't throw food on the floor. And make sure that you grab them, the little face, and say, hey buddy, don't throw food on the floor, and now we're done with the instruction, but make sure that is very clear. Pick up your toys, all of them, put them away. Um, you need to have rules, and you need to make them follow them, okay? I'm going to go a little late, and I'm not going to apologize again for it, I'm just letting you know. Um, but now look up here for a second. Especially as they get older, the number of arbitrary rules need to decrease, and you need to have fewer and fewer rules, not more and more. Here's why. You won't enforce more and more rules, but you can enforce a few, and you can be ironclad about it. And you should never, ever have a rule that you don't intend to enforce absolutely. Matter of fact, let me just say something. Parents should close their mouth a lot because they're training. And they spout out all these orders and they spout out these expectations in the moment without thinking, I need to make sure I follow through with that. Hey, hey, slow, sit, slow down, come down. And the kid goes, always oh, doing forever. And they said it in the moment because it sounded right to say or people are watching, look here, this is the law of the Medes and Persians. If you said it, it's now a rule, it is law, follow through. Or else you're doing a poor job of training. Now, there's, there's going to be times, all the time, we, we overspeak there. But I'm saying try to learn to catch yourself doing that. And once you've committed, they need to follow through. That means you have to follow through. So if you said don't run, and, and, and they run by, and it's this herd of squirrels all going everywhere, and you said it, they heard you, you need to go find your squirrel <laughs> and say, Daddy said don't run. We're going to sit here for a little while and follow through. Otherwise, just let them be a squirrel and run have a better spirit about that and you won't be so frustrated but figure out what rules you're going to have go on a walk with your wife or your husband and say what are we going to ask our kids to do and what are we going to actually make them do and both of us be more careful about saying things we don't follow through on because the kid's not figuring out is he serious is he not serious does he mean it not mean it is he mad now not mad that's garbage and forgive me it's just it's not helpful Rules should be wise, they should be simple, they should be enforced, they should be enforced, they should be enforced or remove the rule. I learned that as an educator, I was a teacher, so many rules, 10% of them were actually followed through in, and that made a whole lot of rebels. A rule that's not enforced makes a rebel, and that's a teenage conversation for later. Avoid generalizations and negotiations. Just speak to your child authoritatively and kindly clearly and then follow through after the first time you said something that you know they've heard. 
And that's not always spanking, that's guiding and that's directing. Directions should not be repeated over and over and over. Ask once. And, and, and I want to say something because I see this. <clears throat> Training isn't just follow through, it's how you follow through. You don't have to become angry for your child to comply. Matter of fact, if you do that, you're sinning or real close to it. Because you violated yourself to the point now you're mad. You don't have to snatch them up. That means you, you're weak. You shouldn't be getting mad. If you're mad, you've waited way too long. You with me? See, what your children, they're picking up on these cues. I'm being disciplined, not because I was disobedient. I'm being corrected because dad's mad. Mom's impatient. Mom's frustrated. You say it. You make them comply. You follow through. Then they're making the proper association. Dad said, I didn't. This is a result. That's the association you want to make. So if you say it, I'm stuck. I'm going to say it. I'm going to follow through. Now, I'm going to say it one time. And if, if, if for the sake of clarity, they don't know, I'm going to say it again. But did you hear what I said? Yes, sir, I did. Okay, now do it. And if they don't, you follow through. You correct the behavior. You re-guide them. Or later, if they're older, then we're going to spank them. Biblically. But you're, all of this, every interaction you're having with the kid is teaching them something. It's training them. Don't train them to come on the third command because now you're mad. The escalating voice, hey, buddy, come here. Hey, 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 daddy said, and the third time you're yelling. They're learning. When dad's voice gets to this decibel level, it's time to come. That's what you're teaching. That's an incredibly wrong association for a child to have to make. They're coming because dad requested it. And in time, the, the compliance comes because they have the inner strength to stop what they're doing, to yield to the parental request. And they do it. And that's the associations you want to make. Can I give you some, not totally arbitrary, but some suggestive things to train a small child for? And I'll be done for tonight. Number one, teach your child not to touch. God placed a tree in the midst of a beautiful garden. It was incredibly tempting. The fruit evidently was beautiful. It was known that this fruit um, was from God. And God said this, don't touch it. He didn't remove the temptation. He won more from that, from those made and fashioned in his image. Your children need to learn not to touch what they're told not to touch. And maybe when they become adults, they won't touch what they shouldn't touch. So much application. Always remove it. You weaken the character of the child. Teach them not to whine. Seems to me the children of Israel whined a lot and it displeased God. Whining is a function of a weak character. A child can be told, don't whine. Don't cry 10 times. Dry it up. Stop that. Don't repeat that. Don't ask me again. And if they do, they do there can be follow through that makes them have the ability to comply with the behavior that you're asking. Whiners are weak. Children and adults should not whine and complain.
They should learn to come to you when you call. This is just could be entirely about safety. There's something there in the environment that can harm them. Hey, buddy, I need you to come here right now. I need you to come. If we would learn to come when we're called, how much better Christians would we be? We should train our children to be thoughtful, respectful of adults, to be courteous. Uh, from little bitty boys, they can ta be taught a little bit of chivalry and kindness and politeness. Hey, let's help mom get the groceries out. Hey, let's open this door. Let's do this. Let's do that. Little ones should learn to be thoughtful. <clears throat> this is completely a Troy Durell one, so do with it what you want. Your kids need to learn some toughness to be tough. We live in an incredibly soft and sissy world. Every time they scrape their knee does not demand your undivided attention. Oh, mama, they come in, this little, they're forcing a drop of blood out. Like they're just squeezing it out and they're going ballistic. And you feigning compassion, oh, little buddy, I'm so sorry. Oh, but, and I get it. You're training them to be sissies. I'm, you can disagree, it's okay. But that's what I think you're doing. Little Johnny bumps them and they fall down crying. And so you get on Facebook and you are the mama bear. It's pathetic. They're weak. How about this? That little drop of blood. Hey, bud, what happened? Hey, you're okay. Go play. Daddy loves you. That works too. And they learn a modicum of toughness. When little Johnny does something, don't always run to their, take up their offense. That's weak. The Christian life's a lot about deference and, and taking life and its unfairness without crying and complaining and taking your marbles and going away. Churches can't survive today because tough people don't populate them. Self-indulgent weak people do and it shows. Teach them to be tough, to finish a task, to complete something, to do something hard and actually navigate it without quitting. There's a thousand ways but we need more toughness. Teach them to finish what they start. Teach them to learn to give and yield some things they don't want to, a toy, to share their candy, because God asks us to share as well. You get the idea? You gotta train for this stuff. This is not done through bargaining, negotiating, allowing slow disobedience, tears to affect you, repeating, 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 it doesn't work with threatening, exploding, escalating voice and the overuse of rewards. Matter of fact, attempting to gain ascendancy over your child through improper indulgence or too many rewards almost always backfires. It doesn't work. But that's another thing. You know, all too often we rescue our child from natural consequences and they never learn anything. And that's a lesson that even the parents of teens fail to understand. I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to, so much I want to say, but I'm going to stop there. Can I, even if we've not jived perfectly, I, I get that. I'm going to ask you to consider the principle. I'm indulgent, you're indulgent, and the little Johnny and Susie is too. You've got to find a way to help them master that. Or they will always be handicapped in life. And until they leave, your life Will, will not be as pleasant as it can be. Um, we fix that through training.